this morning. First John chapter 5, 6 through 12. And if it was going to have a title, it'd be the testimony of God. Uh, the testimony of God, the Holy Spirit. First John chapter 5. Find verse 6, and let's read uh, from 6 down to verse 12. It says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth, wit- beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For these three, um, for, I'm sorry, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath, this, hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. This is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. All right, let's take a deep breath. This message is, I'm going to be dropping some theology on you this morning. All right. Uh, it is it's a little bit deep. Uh, it's extremely important. If you want to know why you ought to believe what Scripture says about Jesus and who he is, uh, this is going to help you do that. This is going to be an apologetic, kind of a defense of the faith, why we believe what we believe. Okay. Now, believing the witness of the Spirit of God about the Son of God is going to result in, in eternal life. Now, since a right view of Jesus matters so much, it's important that those views can be verified. Now, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, emphasis is placed on trusting Jesus Christ. A person who trusts Christ is born of God. He's able to overcome the world. And, and really to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is it's, it's the foundation. It's the, it's the basis of the Christian life. But... How do we know that Jesus Christ is really God? How do you know that Jesus can save you? you know, some of his contemporaries called him a liar and a deceiver. Uh, others have suggested that he was a religious fanatic, a madman, maybe a Jewish patriot who was, who was very sincere but, but very mistaken. Uh, the people to whom John is writing were exposed to a popular false teaching that Jesus was just a normal man on whom the, the Christ spirit had come upon him when he was baptized. And then on the cross, the Christ spirit left him and then he died like any other human being. Well, John's letter here refutes that false teaching and it presents three infallible witnesses to prove that Jesus is God, and that he can save you. John was inspired of the Holy Ghost to write his gospel, remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospel, to assure us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's chapter 20, verse 31. Well, he writes this epistle so that we can be sure that we are the children of God. That's chapter 5, verse 13, which we'll get to next week. Now we see in verses 6, 7, and 8 the power 
of God's testimony, God the Holy Spirit. We see the power of his testimony. In verse 6, if we break this down, we see the dynamic involved here, the dynamic of the Spirit's testimony. Verse 6 says, And this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now we've just been taught, up in verses 4 and 5, that the one who is overcoming the world is the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now John addresses more specifically the reliability of the truth about Jesus Christ. One commentary says, this is the one whom by water and blood, Jesus Christ. So, so when it talks about came by water it's it's a reference to to the inauguration of jesus's ministry right when he was baptized that's when his earthly ministry started remember at that time the voice from heaven the holy spirit descending like a dove he received the father's testimony about his messiahship about him being god the son in matthew 3 it said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was a voice from That was God the Father himself saying, this is my son. At the same time, the spirit descended like a dove, rested on him. This is the evidence that the father gave about his son at the beginning of his ministry, when he was baptized. And then it says, and the blood. So this is a reference to the fact that the son of God died for our sins. He, he is called a vicarious suffering, suffering in our place, suffering so we wouldn't have to. And, and if you remember the transfiguration, the voice of the Father after the resurrection, uh, it says he came by the blood of his cross in one passage. Another passage says his own blood he entered once into the holy place. See, the Father declared this in, 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 in like miracle power. He declared this when Jesus was on the cross. Remember the, 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 the supernatural darkness. Right? That came from the Father. The earthquake, that came from the Father. The rending of the four-inch thick veil in the Holy of Holies, rending from top to bottom, that came from the Father. That's the Father testifying again, giving his testimony that this is my son. It says not by here. We could say it's not in. It's not in water only, but it's in water and in blood. His coming to make an atonement for sin was accompanied by, it was made effective through the water and the blood, through his baptism and his death on the cross. Some people think that the water and the blood is is from when the soldier pierced Jesus' side and water and blood you know, came out, but, but the, the context doesn't, doesn't support that. It's, it's his baptism when his ministry started, and it's his crucifixion when his earthly ministry ended. These two incidences in the incarnation, they're, they're, they're singled out because... At his baptism, Jesus was formally set apart to do his work as our Savior. Um, The Holy Spirit came, the Father spoke, and it's because of that that what he did on the cross could reach its, 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 its culmination when Jesus says, it is finished. So his baptism and his death were, were like the two bookends, the termini of, of his ministry. 
Now we're told that it's the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is the additional witness. So besides the water, besides the blood, um, the Holy Spirit witnesses to the Sonship, the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. It says because the Spirit is truth. I mean, he is essential truth. He gives us the witness which makes his testimony, makes his testimony of an infallible authority. How can we question this when it comes from God himself? The Holy Spirit, the one who moved in the holy men of old as they wrote the scriptures, inspired their writings. So really he's the real author of scripture. And in our hearts then when the Holy Spirit affirms that that he has moved these authors to write and, and that those writings are true, that they're really his writings, pressing it home and verifying to us that his word is true. And here John identifies the spirit as truth. If you remember back in John 14, 6, Jesus calls himself the truth. And Jesus uh, is, of course, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. But here, John calls him, uh, calls the Holy Spirit, you know, the spirit of truth without, without denying his personality. He's not just some ethereal force of truth. No, he is God, the Holy Spirit. He is the God of truth. He can be believed. He can be trusted. Listen to this commentary. It says, And these works now he may so connect with words spoken or written of old as to make us feel not only uh, that, that he then suggested the words as his, but that he is addressing them to us now as his. Not only that he did once bear witness, but that he is now bearing witness and that this is his testimony. So the Holy Spirit is constantly drawing men to Christ, confirming in them as true the reality of the word of God, what he inspired so long ago. And he serves, according to John 14, 26, as our great teacher. It's the Holy Spirit who is the third witness of the incarnation. You have the water, you have the blood, and you have the Spirit of God. It says that the Spirit is one, the one who is constantly bearing witness because he is truth. And, you know, we have to be careful not, not to abuse the Holy Spirit here by, by, by taking his word and then kind of booting him out, you know, thinking that, that we can determine for ourselves what the word of God says without his help. And, uh, it doesn't work that way. Right? Now, now how, how does the Spirit witness in, in the heart of a believer? Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16 say this. It says, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's by the Holy Spirit that we can call God our Daddy. No matter what kind of earthly father we had, we can call God the Father our dad it goes on in verse 16 and the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of god this is not a confidence that we work up ourselves all right Uh, it's a confidence that god gives us the spirit witnesses to us through his word as we read his word he teaches his word to us but we see in verses 7 and 8 we see the details of this testimony it says there are three that bear witness. There are three that are in agreement. 
The same three witnesses of verse 6 are repeated here. And, and, and the expression, these three agree in one, literally means they are to the one thing. That is, they converge upon the one truth. And that one truth is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh. This is how you know who Jesus is. This is how you know that he can save you. The, the one thing is to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ as the incarnate Son of God sacrificed for our sins. It's the very reason that John wrote his gospel. The Spirit and the water and the blood, these three agree in one. We've got a trinity of witnesses furnishing one testimony that Jesus Christ came in the flesh to die for sin so you could have eternal life. That is what God is telling us. That is what he wants us to know. See, this inner witness of the Holy Spirit and, and all that is involved in Christ's baptism and his life and his death, they are not three unrelated events. Together, they point to the one great act of God in Christ for your salvation. We can trust the Holy Spirit's witness because the Spirit is truth. We are not, you know, we, we weren't there when Jesus was baptized. We weren't there when, when he died on the cross, but the Holy Spirit was. He was the one person active today that was on earth back then. He was present when Jesus was baptized. He was present when Jesus was crucified. And the witness of the Father being past history and the Holy Spirit being present experience, the first external, because we can look back on it, but this is, this is internal. This is God the Holy Spirit speaking to us, verifying, and both of them agreeing. We don't check our brains at the door. Our faith is not blind faith. There are reasons why we believe what we believe. Now look at verses 9 and 10. This shows us just how far the Spirit's testimony penetrates here. Verse 9 says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath, hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. We see in verse 9 the preeminence of the testimony. The witness provided by God's Spirit is not just another testimony. It is the testimony of God himself. And it is then elevated above all the rest. And, and the passage says, if, if we believe men, then we'd better believe God. Men are liars, right? Men are deceivers. Men are out for their own interests. But if we'll believe them, we'd better be believing God. The idea is, in view of the fact that we receive the witness of men. And, and that receive is, 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 is to take. It's to appropriate, to, to receive. The receiving of the testimony is in, really an act of a, kind of appropriating it to ourselves as something that can be depended on. 
that's the way our court system works. That's why the, the, the witness is sworn in, and it's against the law to perjure yourself then, to lie under oath, right? John's thought here is since we are in the habit of receiving the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, and it ought to be received. It ought to be believed. Because this is the testimony of God, that God has borne witness concerning his own son, and that testimony, it's on record. All right? It can be examined. You you can go down to wherever downtown they have the records of court things. I don't know what that's called. Suddenly drawing a huge blank on that. But anyways, the building where you can go in and kind of find out what has happened in past court cases, right? You can examine the record, right? I mean, you'd be being kind of nosy to be poking around somebody else's life, but you could examine the record, right? You can see what's happened in past court cases. God has laid out his record for us, all right? It's laid out. We're not being nosy examining this. We're being wise. We're given foundation for our faith. He wants us to see that, that, that what he put on record is reliable. It's truth. I mean, how much more reliable is the testimony of God than the testimony of just people? I mean, God's faithfulness, it's impeccable. God is unable to lie. That means that you have no reason for not accepting God's testimony as to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done and what he can do. See, the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. His, his current testimony is that he has given the testimony about his son, and we have to listen and trust it. It ought to be accepted because of its greatness and its reliability. We accept it because of who said it. What that testimony is, is up in verse 1 and verse 5 of chapter 5. And it's below in verse 10 and verse 11 of chapter 5. See, that is what the Father says about the Son. He is always bearing witness. He is always on record. God has gone on record, and we can examine this and see that his word is true. And this threefold witness, you know, in, in, in Deuteronomy 19.15 uh, it, it says that if you're going to bring charges against somebody, you need to have three reliable witnesses, okay? Three. Uh, God, God has, has, has conformed himself to his own standard here. He gives us three witnesses. He has given us a witness of the spirit, of the water, and the blood, and we'd better receive it. This is my beloved son, he says in Matthew 3. This is my beloved son, he says in Matthew 17. In John, um, sorry, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says Jesus was declared. Again, it was testified that he was the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. In essence, all of scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit is the testimony of God as to the identity of his son, Jesus Christ. Now the giving of a testimony commits you, right? If you called for a witness and you put your hand in the Bible, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing about the truth, so help you God, I do. All right? That commits you to tell the truth. You're committed. And if you lie and you're caught, you're perjury, jail, whatever. All right. 
This means here that God has committed himself in Christ. He has borne witness that this is what he says about his son. God cannot lie. You see in verse 10 how this testimony is personalized. He that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself that he believeth, uh, he that believeth not. God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God, has, has, that, that, that God gave, gave his Son. Notice that when somebody responds in faith to the external testimony, which is God's word, and the indwelt testimony of the Holy Spirit, they have the testimony in themselves. It's God, the Holy Spirit, residing in them at salvation that gives them that testimony. So he has the testimony in his heart. It seems to show that the witness of the Spirit up in verse 6 is witness to the believer's spirit. You know, people say, oh, I wish I could have faith. I wish I could believe. You know, everybody lives by faith. Everybody. All day long, people trust people. I mean, you, you trust the doctor, right? You trust the pharmacist to give you the right medication. You trust the cook at the restaurant. You trust the guy driving in the other lane to stay in his lane. You know how to live by faith. You know how to trust. And if we can trust people, why can we not trust God? And not to trust him is to make him a liar. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, the Holy Spirit's, the personalized availability to be taught by the indwelling, indwelling Spirit of God. It's an internal, experiential confirmation of the truth. See, God doesn't speak by, by words, but by, but by acts. He speaks by what he does. And, and to set aside this supreme the supreme act of his love for us and, and everything that it took to set it in operation to save your soul. If, 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 if you set that aside, you make God a liar. You treat his historic testimony as unworthy of credit. The one who does not believe God has made God a liar because he has not believed what God has said concerning his son. That is an, a, that's a personal affront to God. Refusal to credit God's testimony, which is what it means by believeth not, is involved in, in the refusal to believe in Christ Jesus, which is the object of God's testimony. That's who he's testifying about. See, biblical faith is an agreement of something that's credible based on the testimony of God. This is the highest kind of faith because the object has the highest credibility. God does not lie. It is grounded based upon the testimony of God who is infallible. When it says that we've made him a liar, because the unbeliever makes God out 
to be a liar about really his entire plan of redemption. You know, for John here, there's, there, there's no middle ground. If, if you've been following us along as we go through 1 John, you know, it's very black and white. Right? There, there's, no, there's no middle ground here. There's no suspension of opinion. Either you believe or you impugn God's authenticity. And if you do not believe, it means that you take up the position of, 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 of permanently having the wrong view of God. Not believing is to make God a liar. And if God is a liar, nothing is certain. Now you get that. If God is a liar, there is nothing in this world, in your life, that you can count on. Now we get to the good stuff. Verse 11 and 12. The purpose. Why did God do this? Verse 11 and 12, look at verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. This is the announcement here. This is the point. The reason that God has provided a, a witness to us concerning his Son, right? the reason he did this, is that, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The record means witness. The content of, of, of the external and, and the internal witness is that God gave his son so that men might have eternal life. Okay, that's the point. That's why he's done what he has done. The content of the testimony it might be a little unexpected because it's not what God has said. That, that's not the testimony. But the testimony is what he has done. He has given. That's what he did. He has given to us eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Eternal life is God's own deed. Eternal life through Jesus Christ is God's own gift. Receiving this testimony from God about his son, it's not just a matter of being convinced by some authority outside you, but it's being quickened by this mighty intervention and this influence from within, which is God the Holy Spirit testifying to your spirit that it's true. Someone who believes on the Son of God has the testimony in themselves to the effect then that they believe. Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says, and we've read it already, that the Holy Spirit bears witness, bears testimony in connection with our human spirits. That they're energized by the Holy Spirit. That we're children of God. Now, that means that, that our human spirit energized by the Holy Spirit, gives us the consciousness that we as believers are children of God. The Holy Spirit testifies to us that this is true. You know, the issue of eternal life is not something that is, you know, something we'll get later. It doesn't just rest in the future. This, this eternal life is something that we receive at the moment we trust Jesus as our Savior. From that moment, it is, it is ours. We get to benefit from it forever, but we get it the moment we're saved. And this is why Jesus, who is the life, John 14, 6, came to give us, remember, not just life, but give us life abundantly, abundant life. So what is this eternal life that God has given us through his son? It, it, it has to go beyond just living forever. 
everybody is going to live forever. You either live forever in hell or you live forever in heaven. Um, it, it has to go just beyond that. It certainly has to be the elimination of death, but it's more than just the elimination of death. Uh, we are you know, passed from death unto life when we get saved. There's no more condemnation for sin, according to John 5. And if sin is gone, then death is gone. Certainly, it also involves the gift from God of, of, of the power or, or the, 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 the capacity to live a life that pleases God. The conformity to the image of his son, Romans 8.29. All of that, he has testified to us about his son. So how do we get that life? How does that life in Jesus become ours? Look at verse 12. He that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. The only way by which eternal life is received is through the person of Jesus Christ. Eternal life is a gift, but it's not something we can earn. And this gift is not a thing. This gift is a person. It is Jesus Christ himself. And we have received eternal life. It doesn't only come from Christ. Our eternal life is in Christ. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. See, this verse is set in two clauses here. Uh, The first one, the Son is mentioned without the addition of God, but the second one, um, well, it's mentioned without God because believers know the Son, right? But, But the second clause adds of God so that unbelievers might know just how serious a thing it is not to have Jesus as your Savior. It's a, it's a logic deduction from verse, verse 11. If the Son has life and you have the Son, you have life. All right? If you, if, you, if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. If you don't have the life right now, it's because you don't have the Son, because the life is in the Son. Eternal life with Christ and in Christ. This is the emphasis here. The life and the Son, they go together. It is impossible to have life without Jesus Christ. And it is impossible to have Jesus Christ and not have life. You know, everybody wants to go to heaven, right? They just don't want God to be there when they get there. Everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want to go through Jesus to get there. But Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody goes to the Father, gets to heaven, except through me, Jesus said. Forgiveness. Freedom from sin. The ability to live in harmony with God are things that are directly linked to being saved by Jesus Christ as the only hope of reconciliation to God. Faith is the means that the saved have Christ as, as, as a present possession. And, and in, in having him, they have life. The gift of life is received by faith. And again, God has gone on record as offering eternal life to those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what does a person possess in the Lord Jesus Christ? Life eternal. What does the person who does not have Jesus Christ possess? Well, they 
still have an eternal existence. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you still will exist eternally. But, but you'll not know the, uh, the abolition of death. Remember Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Which means that if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, you will live forever under the constant damnation of the wrath of a holy God. Because that is the wages that are paid. A lot of people think hell is going to be some big party. Where they're going to get together with their friends and, and yeah, the beer may be a little warm, but still it'll be okay. If you can't stand your shower when the water's too hot, how are you going to manage the lake of fire? Forever. going to do it God has gone on record that we can have life through his son Jesus Christ he has staked his reputation on, on, on salvation by faith through Jesus Christ he can be trusted it can be verified Let me run you real quickly as we wrap up here. Point out the characteristics of the child of God. In chapter 2, verse 29, it says, Ye know that, that, that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Right? This is self-check. Chapter 3, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, does not live in sin. Chapter 3, verse 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life we've we've gone from being lost to saved we weren't trusting jesus now we are trusting jesus because we love the brethren chapter 4 verse 7 beloved let us love one another for love is of god and everyone that loveth is born of god and knoweth god chapter 5 verse 4 for whatsoever is born of god overcometh the world does this describe you that is how you know that you have trusted jesus christ as your savior if you bear these marks last week we called them birthmarks okay if you if you bear these birthmarks of the new birth of being born again in jesus christ then 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 you can say with confidence that you are a child of god if you have these birthmarks, then you have received God's testimony. You have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It means that you've believed what God has said about his son, about who he is, about what he did, that he is able to save you to the uttermost. But the question the core question this morning is have you done that have you believed in jesus christ as your savior have you trusted everything that god has said about his son he is he is on the witness stand he is testifying that he sent jesus christ to save you from your sins do you believe that have you received him as your savior if you have then God says you are his child. If you have not, you are already condemned in your sins. 
You can stay there if you want to. But Jesus wants to save you. And he will. If you ask him. You repent of your sins, turn your back on your sins, and you turn to Christ. He will save you. And you will become then a child of God. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would, please. Father, this morning we uh, just want to thank you for this time in your word. We thank you, Father, for your testimony, for you going on record, testifying of your love for us, of your determination to provide a haven from the bondage of sin. Thank you for your reliability, for your trustworthiness, for your immutability. Thank you, Father, that you can be trusted. Lord, for those of us here who know Jesus as Savior, we just want to thank you that you you, you made your testimony so clear and so plain through the leading of your Spirit that we were able to understand our bondage in sin and our condemnation in sin and the free gift of forgiveness and salvation that was through Jesus Christ. Lord, for anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus as Savior, Lord, I pray that you would convict them. Oh, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would so work to draw them to Christ, work until Christ be formed in them, that they too may become the children of God. Father, we need you to do this work in us this morning. We are totally incapable of it ourselves. So we trust you. We depend on you. We throw ourselves at your mercy. And pray, Father, that this morning you would be glorified in the saving of the lost souls. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We take your songbook, 137. Or closing him 137. One thirty seven near the cross. Let's sing verse one. Without the Son, Lord, there is nothing but a sinner's hell. 
And so we pray that there would not be one person here that would leave this morning until they know that they know that they know that if they were to die today, they would go to heaven because they have the Son and they have life. And I pray today would be the day they say an everlasting yes to Jesus. And Lord, for those of us that uh, are in Christ, I pray that you would uh, work mightily in our lives to have a burden for those that we know that are on the outside. Father, that this is uh, no game. This is an eternal war for the souls of man. And so, Lord, we just uh, pray for that supernatural burden. Again, thank you for this day. Thank you for the pastor and for this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please join us for lunch. We'll be getting ready. Just head down the hallway there if you would.